Because this is what we're calling a, a venue preach, which essentially means that uh, we as a venue team um, do the preaching on that Sunday. Um, doesn't, we don't uh, do that in, in every, well, sorry, it's a venue preach in every venue. Um, and uh, it gives us the opportunity often to choose what we want to uh, talk to uh, each other about. Um, although today, actually, we're going to be continuing in the Matthew series. So it's a great opportunity. Just a couple of things before um, I get going. Um, we've talked a lot about Angela Kem. I absolutely guarantee that if you get to Angela Kem, you will have a great weekend, you will be changed, and you will be different at the end of it. She is a remarkable lady who came to us a year ago, um, and I know it's a, a big sacrifice giving Friday night or, or Saturday, but I absolutely guarantee that it will be worth it if you do. And um, So I just encourage you to get along to as much as you can of that. I, I feel for myself, and I think probably others, you know, there's benefit when we send extended um, times with God, you know, and just sort of one, two, three, in a row just really helps um, God to speak to us sort of prepares our hearts and then speaks in again so I say I think it's going to be a really good weekend and uh, I wouldn't like you to to miss it the other thing is we were at Ashburnham walking yesterday and Dave and Maggie Ransom um, happened to let it slip that it's their golden wedding anniversary uh, next weekend that's uh, where are you Dave and Maggie would you mind standing up not everybody would know you um, but um, We're getting to, to, to know, no, just keep standing for a minute if you wouldn't mind. So we're getting to know Dave and, and Maggie, but, you know, I was amazed with them with the whole kind of flyer distribution. Every time we had a slot, they were out there. I think they picked the coldest, windiest place at Collington, and uh, in the dusk they were there. So we're really quickly learning that you're real servant-hearted people. It's great to be in the connect with, group with them and just to hear David sharing his wisdom and Maggie too. So we're really great that you guys are with us. We're, we're feeling encouraged and strengthened because you're here and somewhere Andrew Andrew you're going to appear from behind a curtain oh look at that um, and uh, so we just want to welcome you Father, we thank you for Dave and Maggie, Lord God. Lord, thank you for 50 years of marriage, Lord God. Lord, thank you that you have strengthened them through that, Lord God. Thank you for the blessing they have been to each other, Lord God. And we just pray, even as they take time out over the next couple of weeks, Lord God, I pray just a real relaxing time for them, a real kind of a time together, Lord God, that will be so meaningful, Lord God. Lord, thank you that 50 years on, Lord, love doesn't grow cold, Lord God. It just grows stronger and more mature. And I just pray that you will just bless them as they spend time away and then come back to serve with us again. Thank you for them, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Dave and Maggie. And so, to Matthew. Um, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 today, and we're going to be looking at prayer and fasting. Um, Paul, if you remember last week, Paul Mann was here and talked about Jesus as the fulfillment of the Old Testament law. All those rules and regulations um, that the Jewish people had set, actually, Jesus said he came to fulfill the law. Through his perfect sacrifice, it became possible to know God and to live a life pleasing to him. You remember that the scribes and Pharisees of that time were the experts in the law. They were the ones who um, set out its precise requirements, policed, if you like, how well people were doing. And actually, in the passage we're going to look at today, Jesus has a word for those who just, on the face of it, stick to the law, but actually in their hearts are doing something else. 
and he calls them hypocrites. And we're going to be thinking about that word as we go through. But first of all, let's look at Matthew chapter 6 and verses 5 to 18. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by father, your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Father, I just pray even now that as we look together at this passage, some of which Lord, the words are, very familiar, but I pray by your Holy Spirit, Lord God, Lord, that you will take the words that we speak, Lord, that you will quicken them to our hearts, and Lord, as you speak to us, Lord, we may be changed in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hypocrites, it's such a strong word, isn't it? I looked up that uh, hypocritical comes from the Greek, I can't even say it, hypocriticus, something like that which actually means acting a part. And when that first word came into use, first of all, it was for actors in the plays of the time. And they used to uh, be a character by putting on a mask in front of their face. And uh, that's actually what it meant to be a hypocrite. It was someone who put on a mask to look like someone else. But what does it mean for us? I think it really talks about when our actions, the things we do externally, don't actually line up with our heart attitudes. In the praying and fasting that we've seen in the passage, the scribes and the Pharisees making a big show, attracting attention to themselves, actually what should be about talking privately to God becomes about what do people think of me? What can they see? Sometimes I think, you know, actually that can be even subconscious and we get sort of mixed motives. We're doing the right things, but somehow our motives start to get obscured. And it's interesting, isn't it, that actually prayer and fasting, 
things that of themselves are such good things actually can be done in a hypocritical way. We need to ensure that our heart motives are pure in all that we do. Because even good things like the spiritual disciplines of fasting and prayer, if actually we're doing them with the wrong heart attitudes, don't achieve very much at all. I was trying to think of a a practical example and I was thinking even something like planting the venue here. Of course, we want it to do well. We want it to be a success, whatever success looks like. But the moment it strays into, yeah, because then I can be known as a good leader. Or maybe, you know, then we can see what kings can do. We can show everyone. Actually, we're on very dangerous ground when we start to talk like that or even think like that. God says, I will build my church. And I reminded those verses from Isaiah, I will not share my glory with another. Andrew and I were at the uh, clergy meeting that happens here in Bexhill every couple of months. In our attitudes with other churches, we absolutely always must avoid any arrogance some sense that we've got it right. Sitting alongside faithful brothers and sisters too, working away in extremely difficult circumstances, faithfully holding on uh, to faith and ministering that into communities. Count others more significant than yourselves is what Philippians says. God opposes the proud. Again, another strong word, isn't it? God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. We must learn to walk humbly before our God and avoid any hint of pride. So when we pray, when we fast, we must make sure that our heart attitudes are right. I think it's great that in the passage we looked at, as well as telling us how not to pray, Jesus also tells us how to pray. He gives us that pattern of the Lord's Prayer. And I think there's lots to learn here for each one of us. I wonder if I was to say to you, how is your prayer life? How you would answer? Do you pray enough? Do you know always what to pray? Do you see your prayers consistently and readily answered? Is prayer a joy? It's a cheap question, really, because I know that for most of us, actually, our heart is, no, I want to be further on than where I am. I feel the sense that I need to pray more. I don't always know how to pray. Paul in Thessalonians said, pray without ceasing. What does that look like? How does that work out when I'm at work, when I'm going around the family? There are various ways in which we pray, and we can think about those. Jesus often withdrew to pray. He went aside on his own, up a mountain or in a distant place. But then when we read about the church in Acts, we also read that they prayed together. In Acts chapter 4, when Peter and John were released from prison, it says they met the other believers and they lifted their voices together to God. Sounds like a pretty exuberant prayer meeting to me. So there are various aspects to the way that prayer 
goes on in our lives. I was thinking of prayer without ceasing and maybe it's like for me with Laurie, my wife, or perhaps with you with a close friend. You can be out together, not necessarily talking all the time, but sometimes, you know, you actually do come across something and then you talk and you're just conscious of each other's company. Often I'll go walking up on the downs with a friend of mine, you know, and we be ploughing along the muddy path, climbing up the side of the downs. There's not actually much time for talking when you're doing all that. But then you get to the top and you think, oh, that view again. Oh, yes, do you remember? And you can just sort of come together. And there's that sense of just being together, but actually just sort of exchanging words when you need to. On the other hand, sometimes Laurie and I will have to sit down and be a bit serious about some stuff, whether it's a house move or, you know, what are we going to do about the kids' schools or now for us it's when are we going to go and see the grandchildren? We need to make some, you know, decent decisions here. And so we don't do that in a casual way. And in the same way too, I think our prayer life with God, we need some dedicated times with God when we actually do business with him. So I think prayer through our lives has got different dimensions. But the focus here on the passage that we looked at is on that personal prayer, isn't it? Go into your room and shut the door, is what Jesus said. And we don't want to be legalistic about this, but I think I would want to say it's essential. (laughs) It's essential for each of us if we want to grow and develop in our walk with God that we make time when we are alone with him to pray and to be devoted with our focus on him. Time to be intimate with him. Now I know most people will probably say they find the start of the day is a time that's best for them. and Probably that's the time that works me best, best for me too before kind of the business of stuff creeps in, when I can just sort of set the day out before God dedicating to him. But clearly, for each of us, we need to find out what works for us. But my hope and my prayer is that as we speak about our personal times with God, as we look at this passage, that we will be challenged in how it works out in our life. And we'll each make it a priority to go deeper with God in our times with him. I wonder why it is that prayer is so difficult so often. There are many challenges that come and uh, Jacob's just going to put up a a slide which will help us with just maybe some of the areas where actually these are things that come in and prevent us coming to prayer. Probably for me the first one is self-reliance. Why is it that prayer comes after I've tried everything else? I've done all I could do. I've taken the medicine. I've been to the doctor. I've done all that. Oh, I better pray about it now. Do you ever feel it's like that? Well, don't answer me. You're probably not as bad as me. But but you know what I mean. You know, prayer needs to be right up there at the front of things, isn't it? We have our own competencies, our own abilities. But actually, we need to be coming to God first. We need to be putting everything before him. It's about recognising a dependency on God for everything, isn't it? Every breath, life itself 
we recognize he is the one who gives life and he's the one who sustains it. I had a little experience I remember so clearly. I went to live in India for my work for um, four years or so. And um, I was just having a little sort of time with God, reading a couple of verses. And uh, there's a verse in James, chapter 4, which says, We will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. And that was just like me. I mean, I wasn't going there particularly to make money, but I was going there and I was going to do my business. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a while and then vanishes. And actually, it really sort of pulled me up straight. You know, you're making all your own plans. But actually, what is your life? You are like a mist. We actually need to come back to recognize our dependency on God. Maybe the second thing that uh, can help us, uh, that can hinder our prayer life is disillusionment. I know it's a huge one for many people, and I understand it. I've stood with people, you know, I've been praying for this for so long, and God doesn't seem to answer. You say all things work together for good, for those who love God, but I just can't see it in this situation. I just know how hard that is, but all I can say is that actually we only see just a small part of the big picture. It's hard because we don't understand what God is doing, why he hasn't answered in the way that we would like him to. But all I can say is that just because he hasn't answered in the way that we think doesn't change his fundamental character in any way. does not mean that he's not good, that he is for us, just because we haven't seen things work out in the way that we'd have liked. Maybe uncertainty is an area where you feel when you come to God, what right do I have to ask anything of God? You could think of it as an identity issue. He won't really listen to me. And of course it's true that of ourselves, we don't have any right to ask anything of God. But actually we come as adopted sons and daughters of him. We stand not on how good we are, but we stand on the basis of all that Jesus has achieved for us. And of course, Jesus invites us. He says you don't have because you don't ask. Then in Matthew, ask and it will be given to you. We can have every confidence when we come to God that he hears and longs to answer our prayers. Maybe finally, perhaps you just feel inadequate in your words. I kind of never really learnt to pray. I just don't know how to get the words out in the right order. Well, you've got no excuses, I'm afraid. It's directly addressed in the passage uh, that we've seen here. Jesus said it's not about long prayers. It's not about heaping up all those empty phrases. It's not about the precise language we use. What child, when he comes to his father, to ask for something, worries about getting his exact grammar right. Daddy, I need a swing. That's all you need to say. And I think the encouragement here is that actually God is looking for clever words. He's not looking for long prayers. Actually, he's looking for your heart. What does your heart say to your father? And that's the prayers that he longs to hear and to respond to.
Let me just look at my time, make sure uh, I'm under control, just about. Um, we're going to look at, uh, at the Lord's Prayer itself now, which is uh, something of a, a pattern prayer, we call it. I know that uh, in some settings, people will recite the Lord's Prayer regularly. And in a sense, there's nothing wrong in that. It's the actual words that Jesus gave us. But behind the words is actually Jesus was giving examples of how to pray. Actually, these are the sorts of ways to pray. So actually, just reciting words without a heart behind, between them, behind them achieves very little. God is interested in our hearts, as we've seen. And actually, to think through the Lord's Prayer and what the phrases mean can help us in our own prayer walk. Pray then like this is how Jesus introduced the Lord's Prayer. So let's look at the different phrases within it. And we start, don't we? We start with our Father. Our Father. Just pause even just to think how amazing, eh? That we call the one true God our Father. Such a term of closeness and intimacy. Our Father, who's become personal to me, into whose family I've been adopted. That's a child come to its earthly father, looking for all its needs to be met. So we come to God. The one who delights to hear my prayers, who desires me with, to partner with me on this earth. It's amazing that we come to our Father, but it's also our Father in heaven. Not like an earthly father. You, this is a Father who is perfect, always kind, always loving, always good. A Father in heaven who is all-powerful and majestic, King of kings and lords of lords who spoke and the world was created and who sustains it. A God who is holy, who we approach with intimacy only because of what Jesus has done. And we become, we first focus on his glory and honour. It's a great principle to praying that actually when we focus on him, then actually the issues that we're carrying start to come in the right perspective. So we say, hallowed be your name. Your name. The one whose name is I am, the unchanging one. Our provider, our healer, our peace, our banner. Your name is to be revered and sanctified and made holy. Your name, which is above every other name. Your kingdom come. We pray for your rule and your reign to be established on the earth. For men and women to acknowledge you, to lift your name high. For the work of the evil one to be defeated as more of your kingdom comes. And we can use these phrases practically. Maybe your heart is stirred by some of the poverty in the world, some of the injustice. Lord, your kingdom come that there will be justice for the poor, that there will be justice for the trafficked, the downtrodden. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
We look forward to that day when there'll be an end to the struggling with sin, when your perfect plan for man to be with you forever is established. We focus on God before we come to some of our basic needs. But it's right too to actually come and bring those before God as well. Give us this day our daily bread. We recognize you as the Lord who meets all our bodily requirements for life. We're dependent on you. Again, that dependency aspect. We ask you to give us all we need. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. We stand on the finished work of Jesus, but we regularly fail to live as we should, don't we? Or we've offended you is what we're saying. We've not lived as you'd want us to. We've sinned and we ask you to forgive us. And because we know your forgiveness, we are able and we choose to forgive others because of the work of Jesus' cross in our hearts. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I fall so easily to temptation. And we know, don't we, we have an adversary who seeks to kill and to destroy. Please help me, Lord, not to be tested more than I can stand. Please protect me from the schemes of the evil one. He's a defeated foe and I pray that you will show yourself strong to protect me. Pray like this is how Jesus said at the beginning and I believe it's a pattern prayer that we can regularly come with as a model when we have our times with God. I've been trying it this week and found it really helpful thinking about the different situations of my life and working through the different phrases of the Lord's Prayer. They say it covers every aspect and I think that's probably true. I couldn't seem to find much that I didn't cover within that. So for each of us, I would just encourage you to, when you have your own personal times with God, and I'd want to encourage you to get more serious about those, to deal with the excuses, but then to use this pattern of the Lord's Prayer. I said I lived in India for a while, and uh, I was traveling with a guy, and we were up in the northeast part of India, and uh, we were sharing a room and saving money, I suppose, and... Um, when you're sharing with someone, you know what it is. You get to see quite a lot of their life. And uh, anyway, this guy, you know, in the early morning, he was there on his knees with his Bible. And we were just chatting with it. And uh, I remember it to this day. He said, I couldn't possibly start my day until I've heard from God and spent time with him. And that really challenged me. I couldn't possibly start my day until I'd spent God time with God and heard from him. Maybe that's a challenge for each of us to think about what that would mean for us. And the second passage talks about fasting. And again, um, when you fast is how it's introduced. And it gave again some uh, explanation of how the uh, scribes and the Pharisees used to actually make a great show of their fasting. And although there's not detailed teaching on fasting here, it's worth just taking a couple of minutes just to think about it. Under the Old Testament law, 
Fasting was something that they were uh, called to do regularly once a year. They fasted on the Day of Atonement and the New Year. And then additional fasts were appointed. So they were familiar with the concept. So Jesus didn't need to spell it out, but just to warn them against uh, fasting in the wrong way. But clearly, as we look in the New Testament, we see that Jesus gives an expectation that we will fast. Matthew 9, um, they came to Jesus and asked him, why don't your disciples fasting more? And he responded, the days will come when the bridegroom will taken away from them, and then they will fast. So it's a spiritual discipline that Jesus was expecting that we would also follow. The essence of it is really that we abstain from food or maybe in our day something else sometimes tea and coffee is a is an easy thing to easy uh well i don't know let's find the right word sorry tea or coffee is something i find helpful to fast from if i'm setting my heart in that way um it's just a kind of constant reminder through the day of what you're doing maybe sometimes it's tv um that's good if you spend a lot of time in the tv uh social media some people for that um But it's to make time for God, but it's also just to set our hearts towards him. Of itself, it doesn't actually achieve anything that we're not watching TV or even not eating. But it actually is a statement of our heart intent. No, Lord God, these things which in the case of food sustain even basic life itself, I'm foregoing in order that I can focus on you. It was the normal practice of the early church. Acts 13, before they they sent them off, they said, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Fasting and praying were a normal part of what they were doing. And as a church, we too have fasted at certain times. We sometimes have had a time at the beginning of the year. Um, Sometimes we've, uh, when we're particularly facing challenges and decisions, We've actually come and uh, said, let's actually fast together. And I just want to kind of say to you, to us as a venue, that there will be times in our life when I think that we will call a fast, if you like, when we will fast together for some of the issues that we will face as we go through. But I also think it's important for us as individuals, you as individuals, to think about your own life and opportunities there might be to fast. Sometimes... I know for us, when I'm particularly looking for breakthrough in situations, there was a a couple we were working with and they were really struggling and we couldn't seem to find the way. And we said, okay, every Friday we will fast until we see breakthrough. And fasting is not like a slot machine, you know, we do this and instantly God answers. No, actually it's a statement of our heart. Lord, we say, this is where we are in our heart attitude. It's so important to us. We want to see breakthrough here. And we know, don't we, when we come with that sort of heart attitude, how often God loves to respond to us. And actually, we do see breakthrough sometimes in those situations. So fasting, something that I would like to encourage us all to think about and to prepare us that actually there will be times when we perhaps fast together for certain aspects of the work. So what have we seen? We've seen that as disciples of Christ, the calling on each of us is to live lives of prayer and to fast at times and seasons when God calls us to. 
the call of God, as we've seen, is to pray at all times. But there must be dedicated times when we draw aside, when personally we focus completely on our Father, spend time with him intimately in prayer. So I don't want to be legalistic about it, but I want to give you a strong encouragement that it's a pattern Jesus modelled for us. And we need to think about how we build that into our lives, not out of duty or ritual, but actually it's because it's the place where we connect most closely with our God. We need to recognise, obviously, that we need the Holy Spirit's help. It says the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. Ask him to give you the words to say, strength to keep going, joy in the Father's presence. But my prayer today is that actually as we've thought together about prayer, as we've thought together about fasting, that each of us will resolve to press deeper into God in prayer. Maybe your alarm will be set 30 minutes earlier. Maybe you'll start a new pattern. Maybe you'll start to fast more often. Whatever it takes, let's ask God to convict us. And by the Holy Spirit, give us practical ideas and approaches that make this a reality for us. Remember, Jesus said it's not about heaping up lots of empty phrases. It's not about getting professional at this. It's actually coming with a heart attitude to our Father that says, Father, I'm absolutely dependent on you for everything that I do. Maybe we just... um, Adrian, I don't know whether you might just want to come and just up for a minute. You could maybe strum something. Um, You've been sitting for 